There are places out there where the sky is burning, where the seas are filthy and the rivers dry. People made of spit and cities made of rubbish. Somewhere there's danger, somewhere there's injustice, and somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Rob, we've got a podcast to record. device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh no. Hi everyone and welcome to the cloister bell podcast. I'm Liam and I'm joined by my uh, dear friend and co-host Rob. How are you doing Rob? Good thanks. That was really profound. <laughs> what the introduction? Yeah. yeah. The introduction to the podcast not just the one to me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah both. <laughs> Deep, profound stuff. Yeah. The most philosophical Doctor Who podcast that there is. So, since our last podcast, how you been? What you been up to? Anything uh, exciting? Or interesting? Or just... What you been up to? Hmm. I, you can tell by the silence <laughs> that I haven't been up to much. Mm. Uh, I did watch some stuff. Um... As usual, I just watched some superhero movies. So I watched Man of Steel. Just finished that. Bef- uh, finished the last ten minutes of that before recording. All right, okay. <laughs> you, you're not a fan of that, no? Uh, no. <laughs> Are you though? Do you enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, how, how many times have you seen it, roughly? Oh, not many at all. I think hmm. it's. You know, it's probably the second or third time I've ever watched it. But, all right, okay. Um, I like it. Oh, that's good. I mean, there are. Th- I mean, I've only seen it once, which was back in the cinema, and I left the cinema going, "What the hell was that?" There are things in it that I like. I like the the Kevin Costner stuff. Um, although I think the way his character ends is kind of. In my, I mean, in my m- remembering it now, in my mind, it's unintentionally funny because in my in my mind, he he says something to, to Clark Kent. And then just stands there, and then just randomly gets sucked into a hurricane. Is that what happens? Pretty much, yeah. All because just... they left the dog behind. All <laughs> oh, right, a stupid dog. Yeah. Um, I think really what it's all the the thing that I don't like about it. I don't think. I mean, I'm not a massive uh, fan of comics and superheroes. I mean, I like them, but I'm not like a massive fan of them. And for me, one of the the things about Superman, which made it, you know the appeal of of him is that um there's there's a warmth to that character and humor and just something quite enjoyable and making that character completely angst-ridden and going down that route it's like i don't think you actually understand the appeal of the character um and so going down that route i found it very unappealing and then just the the overall structure of the film i mean it's not original but you know that the the fact that it ends on three huge fights one after the other it and none of it really furthers the narrative along it i suppose not yeah i found it quite frustrating when i finished it because the end scene it ended on uh it ended quite optimistically for the future of the franchise mm. and as we know it all kind of splintered and we we've had 
We've had a few films with him since, but no sequel, mm. no standalone sequel. So it's it's a bit of a shame that that um, we didn't get more standalone Henry Cavill films to kind of redeem that. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, I mean, he is a good actor, yeah. um, and I think um, I would have liked to have seen him play that part, but in, just in a slightly lighter way. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, but given you know the, the material that he works with, there's nothing wrong with his performance. No, no. So yeah, um, it, from from that point of view, yeah, it would have been quite nice. I just think the the approach that they took with the film is not. Uh, I'm not keen on it, but uh, but on a positive, I'm pleased you uh, you enjoy it. Um, yeah, well, that's the main thing. Mm. On a more negative note, um, <laughs> me and my wife, uh, there's a new Jimmy Savile documentary. So we watched, it's like a two-parter, but each part like an hour and a half. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, I thought, I thought, oh, do we want to watch that? It ended up getting put on. And then we're like, wow, it's like we've watched two films. And I was just exhausted. <laughs> yeah, because uh, um, even just, I, I feel depressed now. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even going to bring it up. but And I wasn't even any more enlightened than already was on the mm. mat on the matter, um, unless you've got some morbid fascination with what I mean. Other people, I mean, other documentaries like lots of crew crew crime documentaries, things that you don't know about. There's always a fascination, but uh, mm. yeah, to keep kind of drudging through this and revisiting it all, I don't know. Because this is on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. I think it, it'll probably be interesting from people outside the UK watching it. Well, actually, it, it was in two parts. And in that respect, I think they have done a good job because the the first the first documentary um, provides you with the whole smokescreen of not quite knowing what was going on, and it tells you about his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it so maybe like to an American audience, it does present. Um, the whole thing quite well. Right. Okay. Um, it's the sad thing is about it. There's still an awful lot of lessons that need to be learned from from that, and I don't think none of them have none of them been taken on board. No, perhaps not. Uh. And it's it's one of those weird things where I feel like it's. I mean, it's a huge blight on. Britain's reputation because I think in in so in some ways we were all sort of in, complicit in it. Yeah. Um because the kind everyone of behavior kind that's of, everyone kind of like at the very least picked up on something that mm. something wasn't right with this guy. Yeah. And and so when it was announced, you know, after his death when all this stuff started to come out, I mean it was horrific. But I don't think anyone was surprised. I think what was surprising was just the extent of it. The extent of it, unbelievable. And it, it was wasn't. Just, yeah, yeah. Had um, it just been one or two cases, the whole which thing. Is bad might, enough. Yes, the whole thing might have just been a bit of a, an uncertain kind of scandal that was gone in people's memories by now. So many mm. years later, you know, maybe one in a long line of people who have been um, allegedly. Um, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't really want to. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think. I think we've said everything. <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, let's. Just move cut on this there. whole bit out. 
No, no, I'll leave it in because yeah. it's, uh, you know, because uh, I am aware of it. A lot of people have been talking about it. And uh, I mean, I, I cancelled my yeah. Netflix subscription a while back. I'm not going to. There yeah. is a part of me which is uh, to be honest, sort of I, curious I, about it, but I'm not going to renew my subscription just to watch it. No. It was interesting, all the stuff about um, the royal family and how close he was to Prince Charles and uh, all the letters back and forth in the, in the meetings. And um, Jimmy Savile was a bit, a bit of an advisor and he set up like certain protocols for dealing with things, mm. which is quite surprising. Um, but I think of all of all the documentaries covering the subject, I've I think I've seen better ones. You know that I've had like better interviews on and, be, and better, yeah. Oh, okay. But uh, it yeah, it wasn't very enlightening. It was just kind of mildly interesting yeah. and morbidly depressing. Yeah, um. <laughs> literally like it went on for hours, and I was so tired and so like emotionally drained. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, okay, we're moving on from that. Anything, anything else? Anything positive? No, I don't think so. Nothing positive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, well, things with me is um, my uh, obviously my my love of reading uh, continues. So because um, uh, it's because it's the fortieth anniversary of the Falklands War, um, I've kind of gone back looking at that. So. Um, John Knott, who was a former Secretary of Trade and he was the Minister of Defence during the Falklands, uh, I wanted to get his memoirs, which um, he published in the early 2000s, uh, but the book's no longer uh, available. Um, but I went on, the, I became aware of this website called Abe Books. And if anyone wants to get a hold of a book, which is, you know, rare to get hold of, uh, check that website out because you're pretty much guaranteed that someone will be selling it so anyway um john knott's memoir here today gone tomorrow Re recollections of an errant politician uh that was on there the funny thing is <laughs> everyone who was selling them i think i think there were five sellers <laughs> they were all signed copies oh uh which is just like all oh, right okay so i'm not only getting this book that i want to read but it's also signed by him but i just thought it was funny just like eh, it's signed by him let's just get rid of it because <laughs> all of them were signed copies i just you know oh, yeah, no. i found uh, <clears throat> amusing but i finished reading that and that was interesting oh, um abe so books lung barrow <laughs> <laughs> yes you can get lung barrow on there uh but it, it's not cheap but then it, it isn't anywhere what about uh, the, want... the dying days that would be a good one uh i don't think that uh was that signed one? copy of the dying days by lance parton would be nice let's have a look <laughs> oh uh, oh that they've got it they've got a copy only 118.63 bargain but like, i mean that's um a lot hell of a lot cheaper than it was 15 or so years ago on eBay. Mm. Hmm. Um, yeah, maybe I'll grab a copy one day. <laughs> one, one day when you've remortgaged the house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check out that website because it is really good for, for, for getting an awful lot of um, really good books that, that are you know difficult to get hold of. So I finished reading that and then I started reading um, Across an Angry Sea, the SAS and the Falklands War and that's written by Lieutenant General Sir Cedric Delves. He was actually there and I've read the first three, four chapters, and that's really fascinating because you know being aware of the Falklands from an historical perspective and sort of knowing what happened, and then having recently read the events from a social and political perspective with um, 
some of my recent books, including the, the John Knott one I mentioned, actually hearing, you know, how it unfolded from someone who actually was there and, and living it and being involved in the fight. Uh, it, it, it's really interesting. And then, you know, getting just getting that information. So I'm enjoying reading that. And that's what I'm reading at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yeah. other thing is, is um, it's the 60th anniversary of the James Bond film series. And I've been waiting for this announcement. I had a feeling it was coming. And at the time of recording, uh, the back end of last week, um, it was announced that uh, they're going to be re-releasing them at the VU and Odeon Cinemas. All the Bond films. Nationwide. And uh, it'll be uh, one every every weekend. Oh, right. Um, so I was like, oh, fantastic. So um, <laughs> I booked all the tickets. <clears throat> Wow. Uh, so that's, the, that's the, what my... the entire screen. What's that? So, uh, booked all the seats. <laughs> yeah, booked all the seats. It's just me watching the Bond movies. I'm not going to be, uh, you know. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. So that's basically my weekend plan for most of the year now. Um, apart from the Living Daylights, it's there on the website. It's listed, but for some reason, it's not letting you buy any tickets. Oh. Um, and I got in contact with VU because that's the cinema that that's nearest and I'll be able to get to. So I got in contact with them and they responded basically saying, oh, we're terribly sorry, but we haven't quite updated the website yet. So just uh. keep an eye on. Um, and it's, you know, Timothy Dalton's my favourite Bond and it's, you know, and it, that's one of my all-time favourite movies. And that was one of the films that I was definitely wanting to see. And it's just like, bloody typical. So hopefully... Yeah. I mean, probably, I mean... Worst case scenario, I might actually have to book the tickets in person at the cinema. Uh, oh dear! <laughs> hopefully that'll be an option. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So Rob, um, Saturday this Saturday coming, which for listeners would be the Saturday that's just passed. I would have seen Doctor No at the cinema. No way! That's yeah, great. So yeah, so I'm like ridiculously looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> so that'll so for most of the year now that'll be a regular update of this of just go you know what was it like seeing a Bond film at the cinema and yeah um, that's great I, I hope yeah. they don't like cancel it halfway through for lack of interest that happened to you once didn't it yeah did, oh was yeah I think that was with June uh, the eighty four film because uh, oh, June yes. Part One came out the the recent film mm. and so they went oh well we'll we'll re release uh, the the original David Lynch version. Uh, which is an interesting film, but deeply flawed. Um, but I was like, oh, I'd like to see that at the cinema. And it was there. And I think it was because I was the only person who booked a yeah. ticket. Strangely, it got cancelled. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, ho- I hope Deeply that... flawed. That's an <laughs> understatement. It's still one of my favourite films. But... It's one of the... I think... I mean, I haven't seen it in a while. I've got it on Blu-ray, actually. Uh, I should watch, re-watch it. Um, yeah, I think... I know what you mean. It's one of those cases where, actually, the fact that it's not... It's, it's nowhere near a perfect film. No, the thing's a goddamn mess. That's what kind of makes it interesting and interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's well. There's like, and I know David Lynch, who directed it, he he's completely abandoned. It. I mean, he hates even talking about it. He doesn't want anything to do with it because it was, you know, he didn't have director's cut and, and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. But it was sort of important for him to go through that experience. Uh, I mean, one, it was the first time that he worked with Kyle MacLachlan. Um, yeah. And from that experience, he then did <clears throat> his next movie, which was Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. which is not a movie that will be for, for for everyone, but it's one of my favorites. It 
I think it's great. And Kyle McLachlan was that, and obviously with Twin Peaks and everything. So you know, some good come out of it. Um, but yeah, that was a shame that got cancelled. So yeah, hopefully the James Bond thing won't be cancelled because I'm the only person, <laughs> me and a handful of people, probably yeah. the only people in the northeast. Actually, you know. <laughs> the funny thing is, it's because um, I've booked all the t- so that means I'll be going to see the movie uh, Thunderball because I'm interested to see what that'll be like as a, 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 a cinematic experience. But something you'll still tell me that I'll still find it a boring viewing experience. But we'll see. But anyway, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to seeing those. So. Exciting, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, you've had a busy uh, time doing the schedule as well for the podcast, yes. So, um, I don't know so, uh, how much of that you want to discuss. Well, we may as well. It's, uh, it's, it's not somewhere for your eyes only, Rob. It's, uh, it's top, <laughs> top secret. No, um, so what it is is that uh, today's podcast we're going to be reviewing uh, survival. Uh, and then for our next podcast, which will be the hundredth podcast, uh, wow. so we feels like we've reached a milestone. We'll be reviewing the TV movie uh, that came out. We had we'll be reviewing the TV movie, and um, following that, I just ha- I've just had this idea that I want to review season eighteen and kind of drill down into it uh, a bit. So obviously that'll be reviewing the the actual televised adventures, but there was there are some big finish audio adventures. Uh, which are set during that season, yeah. Uh, and it's it's a relatively reasonable number. It's not like um, oh, there's twenty big finish uh, adventures to to review. It's 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 a reasonable handful. Um, so I thought, well, review uh, the season eighteen televised adventures and the big finish ones. But we're going to be spacing it out. Um, uh, and in within that space, you, uh, there'll be things that y- you want to be having a look at. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, Well, we've been holding off on a lot of kind of landmark things as well. Like, we've just done Rose. For some Mm -hmm. reason, we've never, ever done that. Why not? Um, I think at some point, I'd like to revisit either Unearthly Child, the the entire serial, or maybe the pilot. That would be good. Um, but in the in the coming months, um, after we've done the TV movie, I'd like to explore what is kind of McGann's first season on audio, which mm-hmm. consists of four, four audio dramas. So that will that will begin with Storm Warning, and so I thought we could, uh, yeah, c- cover those four. Mm-hmm. And al- also, I mentioned to you uh, doing the first episode of Torchwood. Ah yes. Does, does that interest you? No, 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 no. We uh, we will. Uh, Torchwood's an uh, interesting series. Um, I did because uh, I I came to it years after it was uh, broadcast, so I was late to the party with that one. And um, actually, I quite liked Torchwood for the most part. I thought it was uh, it was interesting and quite. Either you know you had episodes which were actually you know generally enjoyable. There were some which were actually really really creepy, creepy. And um, uh, I think like a lot of people, I, I really liked the, the third series in particular. I thought that was that was when it really nailed what it was to do adult drama. Yeah. Because that's the thing. You know, funny enough, because I think the the Virgin New Adventures did this as well. Uh, Torchwood did is that oh um, we can be adult, and that means you know we can we can swear a lot and have a whole load of sex in it and actually the result of it is you just come across as quite adolescent and immature doing that yeah um 
Actually, what makes it adult is just doing good, strong drama. And by the time you get to the third series, that's what you get. Uh, it's a very um, kind of thought-provoking, creepy idea. Um, and I know that not, not a lot of people like it. I kind of like Miracle Day. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's flawed. <laughs> Again, it's that word. Um, uh, it's not perfect, but the, you know, the, there's a good idea in there, and I do... I do kind of like it. Um, it's it's not as strong as what had gone on before, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if the whole kind of thing of something being Americanized. I don't know if that's just in people's minds. Um, I mean, that's certainly the because that was the thing. It was uh, Torchwood had its own flavor, and the fact that it was a, a popular science fiction series set in Wales. Um, you know, I mean, I know that Doctor Who was in the new series is filmed in Wales, but it doesn't mean it's set there. You know, Torchwood was set in Wales. It had Welsh characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite uh, unique and unusual. And then sort of like, oh, no, but we're setting in America and we were Americanizing the whole thing. It's just, it's, mm, well, we've, we kind of had, we kind of have a whole load of these. We've been here before. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the idea and the overall execution. I think yeah. for the most part, it was quite decent. It was a, it was a strange formula. Um I, I quite <clears throat> like the first two series. Um, I think I did. I did miss that formula after they did um, Children of Earth. Um, yes. Even though Children of Earth was much better, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the show did lose some of it. Lose a particular kind of charm uh, after it kind of abandoned that and killed off all its main characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a shame. I, I kind of had. I, I kind of hoped the show would have went, um, went for a good few years, but uh, it's, it's unfortunate. But it's it, it's great that it kind of evolved. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't think we need to kind of work our way through the whole of the first season. But we'll we'll do the first one and then see how we feel a bit further <laughs> down the line. Yeah, of all the spin-offs. I chose Torchwood as the one you might have preferred. Um, Sarah Jane or Class, or but it's certainly know. the one that I'm f- familiar with. In that you know, because I've watched it with the Sarah Jane Adventures, I wouldn't mind reviewing those. I've only seen a handful of episodes, if I'm honest. And Class, I haven't seen, uh, hmm. and I am kind of interested in that. And I know that um, uh, I don't think it was critically lauded but i know that actually you know you thought it was actually quite decent and to be honest i wouldn't mind watching class uh, i think it'd be interesting so um if anything's going to spur me on to watch it it will it'll be us doing this podcast so yeah i, I think we should mm-hmm. I, I don't to be honest i just don't understand where a lot of people are coming from i think i don't know does it stem from the fact that it it wasn't what people what people wanted Doctor Who, and they didn't want this. I mean, we were just we were being given this new show for nothing. <laughs> like, why not just watch it and get on with it? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, see what you think after we've watched it. All. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I might be able to provi- provide you with an answer yeah. to that question, Rob, when I, when I finally watch it. Should we just abandon Torchwood and do Class that week? Isn't that? Uh- ah, uh, happy either way. The ball's on your court with that one, Rob. I'll, 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 I'll have a think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but I don't think I said anything else, did I, for the coming weeks? No, no. Uh, I think that's I think that's that's everything that we've got uh, planned. That's actually 
quite a way ahead of us so there's quite a lot to cover so season 18 uh big finish audio adventures with tom baker and paul mcgann we were going to be looking at and uh torchwood and or class so uh, watch this space folks so um 26 years of continuous television production was brought to an end in 1989 with the final episode of doctor who broadcast on the 6th of december did the show end with a bang or with a whimper well we'll answer that question at the end the story ironically perhaps was called survival the doctor brings ace back to her hometown of perivale a suburban area of london her old friends are being kidnapped by a race of alien hunters called the cheetah people who were shown the way to earth by the doctor's old enemy the master the cast and crew i'm not going to go through everyone just the uh, the main players as it were sylvester mccoy plays the doctor sophie aldred plays ace anthony ainley plays the master Julian Holloway plays Patterson, and Lisa Bowerman plays Cara. The story was directed by Alan Waring. It was produced by John Nathan Turner. It was written by Rona Munro, the only writer of classic Doctor Who to come back to the new. She wrote Eaters of Light. And uh, the music was by Dominic Glynn. Um, Quite an unusual story in terms of the setting when you look at it in relation to classic Doctor Who. It's it has two main locations. One is the planet of the Cheetah people, but that comes a little bit later. The vast majority of the story is actually set in Perivale. Uh, you know, it's a suburban area, and you know it's quickly established that the the story is set on a Sunday in an urban area, and it's really the first time that the show feels really grounded in something that most viewers would feel you know real and relatable. Um, you know, we see. You know, the, the episode establishes that there's something uh, odd going on. You know, there's a man in the street washing his car, um, sees something which kind of freaks him out. He he runs and then he there's a flash of blinding light and he disappears. Um, so people are disappearing in a suburban area that most people would recognise watching this story. Um, we see the TARDIS land, probably making the dreams of many, you know, children viewers... Uh, dreams come true it lands in someone's drive mm-hmm. uh, which is a great image actually <laughs> just seeing a police box land in someone's drive the doctor and ace come out ace you know it's quickly established ace has asked the doctor because she's just interested to see you know what her old mates are up to but talking about you know you had to pick a sunday you know everything's closed i mean the, the, i mean this dates the, the the episode because this predated the sunday trading act um I mean, do you remember Sundays being really boring, Rob? Sundays, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't remember Sundays, so they must have been pretty boring. Yeah, because I mean, in Britain up to nineteen ninety four, you know, shop apart from corner shops, I think, but uh, you know, shops weren't allowed to trade. And Ace even says, you know, you had to pick a day where you couldn't, you can't even have find anything decent to watch on television. And she was right. My memories of Sunday just nothing to do, uh-huh. really boring. And it was the one day of the week where there was nothing to watch on television, probably apart from episodes of Little House on the Prairie. I liked Saturdays. <clears throat> yeah, Saturdays were good. Um, you know, and in this episode, you know, we have corner, sh- you know, we have normal streets, we have corner shop, pubs, kids playing, we have a youth centre. Um was there a sense of nostalgia watching this for you, Rob, just in terms of how, where the story's set and how everything's depicted? 
Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Was it for you? It was a little bit, because uh, I feel like it, it does... It, you know, watching it, it, it's something that I recognise of what Britain was like, you know, when I was a kid. But mm. it feels like, you know, certain aspects of it are of, of, of a bygone age. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong, I don't think if anyone watches it now, they're going to be sort of going, wow, life's changed so much. But it's just little things. Um, uh, and uh, in fact, a lot of people have said that because of its suburban area, it, um, it you know, it uh, it shows a clear link of how the show could progress and the fact that, uh, you know, you have survival and then when the series comes back as a continuous production, you have, you know, have Rose and the Powell estate. There's a sort of a clear link between this approach in survival and what Russell T. Davis would do. I mean, do you buy that? Do you think that's a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I do to an extent. But funnily enough, I think that um, for all the thing about, you know, Russell T. Davis, you know, setting uh, his era of Doctor Who on Earth and having, you know, council estates and something like that. One thing that really struck me with Survival is the fact that it's set entirely in Perivale. It's set entirely in this um, urban area. Far more than anything that you see in Russell T. Davis's era. That's true. Yeah. Um, and I really, I really like that. I mean, even when, when Classic Doctor Who, like during the John Pertwee era, when it was predominantly set on Earth, um, there wasn't anything like, um, there wasn't anything like having a story set in you know anyone's house. No. Um, you know, you might have the odds, the, you know, the odd, the odd scene, but having an entire story set in, in a town, didn't seem to to happen. You know, survival feels like a real breath of fresh air. Um, yeah, to get a sense of community. Yeah, almost, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the fact you know that we hear Ace arrive because she wants to see her old mates, and you know she she you know she she bumps into them. The result of this has one of my all-time favourite lines in um, in Doctor Who. She bumps into an old friend of hers, obviously hasn't seen her for years, and she said, oh, we thought you died. I was like, what? Well, we either thought you died or went to Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is that like that dying? Um... <laughs> just, as, just as good as dead. <laughs> I just think it's a great line. Um, and there's a uh, there's actually, I mean, when I when I think of survival, because obviously I've seen it over, over the years on many occasions, the one thing that doesn't immediately leap to mind, but it is there, is the humour. Um, so you know, you, you th- there was a famous comedy duo in the late eighties called Hale and Pace, and they have a cameo in this. In fact, they're the two guys who run the corner shop. All right. Um, you know, and there's some sort of humorous banter going on there. Um, that line that I just mentioned, I think one of my also. My 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 favorite bits as well is in, I think it's in episode two, um, but it's later on when the Doctor is describing the Master, and Ace just just says, "Do you know? Do you know any decent people? You know ordinary people, not power crazed nutters trying to take over the universe." Um, you know, I just love that. So there there is some nice um, you know uh, moments of humor that 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 come through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, is this a, was this a story that you were sort of familiar with? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't 
kind of watch it until um, quite <clears> later <throat> on down the line. Um, I first heard about this story from you when we were kids because you, 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 I think I was we're talking about the final ever story, you know, maybe you'd seen it, like you had it on video or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you said, oh yeah, it's, it's with the master. And I was thinking, wow, that sounds great. Um, so having this picture in my mind and then finally getting around to watching it, um, and it's, it's such a bizarre story in some ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't... So when I mentioned it to you as a kid, do you remember? I mean, was it? Do you remember roughly how I kind of described the story? No, I don't. He, he didn't describe the story. I don't think. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, and um, and then I come to see pictures and read about it, and then finally watched it. Uh, um. So yeah, it, it didn't quite meet my expectations. Uh. It's yeah. It's an interesting story (laughs) yeah i mean i agree with you i think i think it is unusual it um but it has that thing of doing what what doctor who does best which is uh taking something recognizable which in this case is two things one it's the story's location and the other is the cat and um it deals doing, with death a lot, and deals with death a lot, and this, you know, and Darwinian social Darwinianism mm. really comes in, especially in the final episode. And I think at that point, it, you know, things get quite creepy. But um, but it's 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 rec- it's tangibly recognizable with the the location. And then we got cats, and cats are. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether it's suggesting that all cats are like this, but cats are uh, a species which come from the planet of the cheetah people. And what they do is they, they basically jump to planets looking for uh, prey for the cheetah people. Yeah. Uh, unusual, an, an unusual idea, but, you know, it, it works. And um, I don't think we look that bad <clears throat> at all. No, no, I mean, because we've got famously got uh, an animatronic cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thoughts, Rob? It doesn't look real. No, it doesn't. Um, but then but, I, re- I remember it may have been the commentary or the the cat flap feature that I, that I watched when we got the DVD, and yeah. uh, I think the writer does does reference like Sabrina as having done that more recently since. Um, so yeah, it was acceptable then. Why not acceptable in survival? <laughs> Well, I th- well, actually, because I remember that, I think the point we were saying was that the fact that, you know, years later, you know, Sabrina, which was a, a popular American TV series with a bigger budget, still didn't manage to produce a realistically looking animatronic cat. Mm. I think Sabrina got away with it because it was a comedy series. You know, yes. the cat, and the cat was, you know, kind of sassy. And I, I just remember, you know, it would come out with uh, appropriate enough catty one-liners. Mm. Um, but... Um, but yeah, with Doctor Who, it's it's meant to be real. Yeah. Um, there is a scene maybe on the hilltop in episode one where you see a cat, black cat, out of focus behind Ace. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if more scenes like that would have been better than having seen the animatronic cat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because one thing, I mean, cats are like this prominent feature throughout the, the story. And I, yeah, I... I yeah cottoned onto that and i thought that was good because you know we see that uh we see uh kids um uh playing 
mm-hmm. and there's 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 the animatronic cat, but it's it's spying on them, and yeah. then it's quickly established that somebody, I mean, it's uh, clearly the master, is looking through the eyes of the cat, mm-hmm. and trying to find prey, and you know it's the idea of going, oh my god, are they, are they going to target the children? And then it's kind of a relief when the master goes, no, it's it's not what we're after. It's like, oh thank god. Um, uh, so it's a st- you know it's established that you know the cat the cat is a creepy presence and yeah and then so when uh you know the the doctor and ace are walking around and you've got this black cat in the background like this this ever you know the, this constant presence just um spying on people looking for prey is uh is is is, is nicely done yeah uh, <clears throat> yeah but maybe they should have like shrouded it in shadows or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um it's fine though. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, in the past when I've watched it, it's just sort of oh, God, that cat looks so fake. Um, and yes, it's it it still does, but uh, I mean, it's it's never just it's never detracted from my enjoying the story. But on this occasion, it really didn't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm getting more forgiving of of bad special effects because I, I was saying, you know, we were saying that in Terror of the Autons when we when we reviewed that. Just going the the obvious use of CSO. I wasn't bothered. No, <clears throat> uh, and also it's not a cat from Earth, so mm. maybe that's just what they look like sometimes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, cats from from other planets look slightly fake, and that's how you know that that, that, <laughs> that they're not Earth cats. That's it. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things, another one of the things that I like is that the the they go to the youth center mm-hmm. and um you know we're introduced to sergeant patterson so we're introduced to one of the the new uh one of the main uh, one of the main characters mm-hmm. and um he's great yeah yeah he he really is i um oh hang on i've forgotten the actor's name bear with me uh patterson julian holloway um it wasn't because when I was watching the story, I had the production subtitles on, and it went, uh, "Oh, he, uh, you know, famous for usually playing uh, comedy roles, and he pe- he appeared in you know several Carry On films." And I went, "Did he?" And he was in uh, Carry On Kyber. And I went, "I uh-huh. suddenly recognised him," and I went, "Oh yes, yes. it is him." Um, if it wasn't for that, and it, suddenly I could, I could suddenly I could see it, and it was just like, "Yes, he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't those uh, comedy films." Um, yeah, he's he's a great character and played superbly well. Um, and one of the things that I liked was, uh, you know, the thing that he, he could, you know, he seems to recognise Ace and he goes, "Oh, hang on, the police let you off with a warning." And we just get this this, you know, little bit more of a glimpse of Ace's backstory. I mean, at this point in the se- uh, in the season, you you know, we had um, the Curse of Fenric and Ghost uh, Ghostlight. Um, you know, which which looked at Ace's past in in a, in a really big way, uh, but here there's just a further, you know, there's just more of it going on. Um, the fact that you know Ace was reported as a missing person, um, you know, and Patterson is you know saying, but you don't give a toss, do you? You know, ten pence love, that's all would have done to cost you to give a phone call, and then she storms out, and she doesn't really want to. Understandably, it's her own business. Doesn't want to talk about it, but you know, it's just it's that little bit of a backstory and, and how that's written and how that's performed. I thought was was another uh, nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's at this moment as well when uh, the doctor is kind of a, you know starting to 
because when when he arrives, it's just ah, oh, he's bored. Um, but suddenly he's kind of picking up and going mm, something's not quite right here and then he notices that there's a cat outside looking in uh, and through the eyes of the cat the master clocks that the you know the doctor's finally arrived and I kind of you know like that that the doctor's starting to switch on to something hmm. um, and I think episode one is, is very I think incredibly well structured in you know establishing that people are people are disappearing getting the doctor and ace on the scene and you know getting the the master involved and um in fact that's how uh the the first episode ends finally that the doctor along with patterson are transported to the planet of the cheetah people and that's when um we encounter the master now funny enough we reviewed terror of the autons not all that long ago which was the master's very first appearance in doctor who and now um we have the very last appearance of the master as played by Anthony Ainley. Mm. Um, I mean, just to, just talking in general, what are your thoughts of Anthony Ainley as, as the master? I mean, I'm, I'm talking you know, just generally in terms of his whole, not specifically the story, but in general. I don't, th- it, it's, it's a weird one because um, Roger Delgado's master, obviously uh, as his time progressed, the, they had they had an idea of where that was going, mm-hmm. and there was a there was obviously a kind of a, a a good relationship between him and the doctor. And over time, I don't know if they kind of did that legacy justice with Ainley's master. Although I do like his master, mm-hmm. he just becomes from occasionally just like a, a bit of a one dimensional one dimensional villain. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, um, this story in particular is a bit of an odd one because he's not quite himself. Um, I don't know. I don't think it it provides the master with any closure. Um, he just kind of comes and goes. It's mm-hmm. a shame because he he had to kind of share the spotlight with. Um, with the Rani in the previous story. Um, and he finally gets um, his story with McCoy. Do you, th- do you think this story um, presents the Master well? I think it does. At the very least, it gets, yeah, because, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I mean, my favourite Master is Roger Delgado's. Uh, but, I, but I do like Anthony Ainley's uh, Master. But I think... Uh, with him he kind of was sort of like the pantomime villain Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he he, the way that uh, he is introduced you know back in the early 80s in Tom Baker's final season I think is quite strong and um, it's always sort of good fun when he pops up with um, Peter Davison's Doctor but it's um do you think he was given the wrong kind of material in this story? Or perhaps he didn't um he was kind of too bogged down in how he used to play the master. No, because actually I think uh, his performance is completely different to how he played it before. And I think actually that the problem is uh, I mean Nancy Ainley was a good actor, but the, the problem is I think uh he was always told 
to overplay the part. Um, here, he's allowed to be a bit more subtle and a bit more creepy, and I think this is Anthony Ainley's master at his best. Maybe not in terms of the writing, although I don't think the writing is atrocious, but going off what you're saying, it's uh, I know what you mean. He's... Um, there's a he's great not... scene in the flat when he's having this kind of inner struggle. Yes, and he's yeah, yeah. In the, in the mirror, I like that. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll get on to that. But I think um, I like the fact that his performance is much more downplayed, and I think I suspect that Anthony Ainley probably had always wanted to play the master this way. And if he had, can you imagine how much better that would have been? Yeah. I mean, I still like, you know, him in you know stories like the King, you know, the King's Demons and. Uh, uh, Mark of the Rani and, and stuff, but I think yeah, um, his master was never really allowed to to shine. Whereas in here, I think as in terms of his performance, I think it's incredibly strong, and it's one of those things where I would have loved to have seen his master with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor a few more times. Mm. I think that would have been really really good. Yeah. Um, and but there's this this there's this thing with with his master where. You know, he's infected with, you know, the... The, the, the cheetah influence thing. Yeah, yeah, the cheetah influence. And he's having to, you know, he's trying to uh, trying to control the cheetahs, trying to escape the planet of the cheetah people, uh, and then also trying to, you know, control that influence over himself. So, yeah, uh, going back to that moment that you said later on, in the final episode, um, where he's in a flat, just an ordinary flat, um there's something really weird seeing a big you know you know the you know the super villain of the series if you like in such a such an ordinary place um and he's talking about you know how he needs to keep control and looking at his you know reflection in the mirror his eyes changing and yeah that's you know that one i think that's um that's really well written but again anthony only really performs that incredibly well yeah and in fact, I think um, I think the master's really there's something really disturbing about the master and what you know what he does, and particularly in the final episode. But we'll um, we'll get onto that. On the and as I said earlier, that there are two main locations: one's Paravale and one's the planet of the Cheetah people. Mm. Um, and he didn't have some big evil plan. It was mm. it was essentially just survival because he was trapped on the the cheetah world, mm-hmm. um, and he just wanted a way off, and he does that in his own way. Um, yeah, yeah, and actually, I mean, because that became you know with stories like the Deadly Assassin and the Keeper of Traken, there was all you know th- those were the stories which really brought this thing about you know the master really clinging on to survival the, and what, yeah, yeah, and really will want... alone sometimes um, in that in that kind of. That kind of um, is a thing that um, is with like the future masters as well. Yeah, and it, when I was watching it for survival, I mean, obviously it wasn't intended like this. It, I think it's just a happy accident. But in some respects, in just focusing on that aspect of the master, survival feels like it's a prequel to the TV movie. Mm. Um, is it just my head cannon, or is it the cheater eyes in in the TV movie prologue? It because it, it is like cat eyes. It actually, yeah, yeah, it is. It is uh, like cat. Yeah. Is, is that just a happy coincidence? Do you think? I think so. 
Right, and if so, why have they given him cat size? Because they're evil. Even though the canon says he should have them. <laughs> yeah, I want yeah. them to know why they did it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Maybe, maybe it'll be something uh, when we go back to when we go to, to reviewing it. Maybe yeah. we'll we'll come across well, something um, in our research. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're mates with Matthew Jacobs. So maybe we'll drop him in an inbox. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- uh, it'd be interesting. I do think that was a happy accident, though. But it just it ties up really well. So. Because obviously with a TV movie, it's the whole thing about, you know, the, again, the master just doing anything just to cling on to survival. Mm. But, you know, with the, the evil cat's eyes and everything like that. Yeah, so um, serendipitously, perhaps, but survival feels like it's a prequel to the TV movie mm-hmm. in that in that respect, which I think, you know, just yeah. it's quite nice. It's, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and we have... You know, Ace, uh, we finally see, you know, she encounters some of her old friends who have managed to survive and avoid, uh, on the on the planet and avoid the cheaters. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the performances of all of all our friends? It did feel like I was watching a bit of a CBBC show. Funnily enough, I've got to reg- the same thing crossed, crossed my mind. It did. It did have that that feeling. I think the actress who played Sheila, um, I think she gave a good performance. Which one was she? Um, well, <laughs> the one from episode one, or the one she finds on the cheetah up. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, the the one on the the cheetah planet. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think she gave a good performance. Um, the, oh, for, the actor who plays Midge, he's a mm. bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've <coughs> summed it up cool. there, Rob. <laughs> his his performance is not consistent. I would say. Uh, the rumor, like when we first introduced to him and his whole thing of seeing Ace and how laid back and he is and, and all the rest of it, I think he plays those parts well. Afterwards, it's uh, I don't. I'll get onto it, but it's a bit cringe. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to say a bit amateur, amateur dramatic, a bit amdram, but yeah, it is, it is a little bit cringe. Um, and the other chap, he, I mean, he doesn't have that, you know, the the blonde one who's. He's just sort of there. He wears the David Bowie T-shirt. Yeah, but he doesn't really. You know, he's just sort of. He's just. He's just <laughs> there. There's nothing wrong with his performance. He doesn't have that many lines, actually. I found out on the um, the production subtitles actually that um, he actually was quite a well-established actor at that point and was friends with Sylvester McCoy. And Sylvester McCoy actually recommended that he get that part. <laughs> that part in particular. Yeah. That well, you know, because they were looking for they were looking for a role. You know, they were looking for an actor to fill that role in, and Sylvester McCoy went, "Well, I got, I know someone who would be perfect for it." And then that's that, that's how that was cast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, so I think I mean, there's a lot to talk about Midge, which we'll we'll get to. But with the others, what are your thoughts on their performance? Unremarkable. <laughs> <laughs> They're just there. Yeah. Um. And I know what you mean. It, it it does feel like at that point it does go into a bit of a, a children's television program. I think a part of it as well is the fact that at this point, um, Doctor Who is just constantly filmed on videotape. Uh. And the the last time that anything external was shot on film in terms of Doctor Who was... Um, revelation of the daleks the the dalek colin baker story yeah that's the last time anything external was shot on film afterwards it's all done videotape so that's external shots and in the studio and there's 
I think that if... I mean, because television drama was still being shot on film at this point. It hadn't been phased out. And there was a part... On this occasion, it's the first time that it really crossed my mind. I thought, imagine if this was shot on film. Um, I think... I mean, there's a practical reason why they probably didn't. Because actually what they managed to do with the, the Dorset Quarry, where they shoot it in, they do a great job with making that look as alien as possible. You know, with the with the pink sky and the way that they've uh, put in, you know, volcanoes in the distance. Yeah. Uh, that looks fantastic. Much easier to to execute those shots on on tape. To do that on film and then put that would have been very difficult. So there's a practical point of view to, to do that. Um, but when you've got, you know, those shots in, uh, you know, when they're, when they're in the woods... You know, and Ace comes across, you know, her old mates and stuff like that. It because it's shot on videotape, it feels like, you know, a group of mates have just made their own, you know, their, you know, their own version of Doctor Who. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a proper professional BBC production. It's oh, unfortunate. Which is which is a shame, but these kids though, like. Like the episode is called survival, but I don't think how could they actually survive? Well, you know they they forage and they manage to eat stuff. Yeah, I mean, aren't they eating grass? <laughs> eating, <laughs> eating grass and leaves and stuff. How long have they been there? I wonder. Yeah, I think maybe maybe a week or two. Yeah, unrealistic. I think they'd be dead by then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll 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 brush. We'll brush past that, um, but actually, I mean, given the fact that it's uh, you know the, the second main location, I don't feel that uh, we're on the Cheetah Planet too long. It's I mean, it's pretty much episode two, which is the you know the the, the middle episode, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm kind of pleased with because I think that the story works much better when they're in Paravale. Yeah. Um, so you know. Episode two is, you know, um, you know, finding out what, what the master's doing. And, and the fact that it isn't just this grand scheme, as we've said, but it's just a matter that he wants to survive and get off the planet. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a recognisable goal, totally understandable. And, and within that, because there's a history between the Doctor and the Master, it, you know, there's danger that, in fact, in the third episode, in that flat scene, which we talked about before, you know the master's eulogizing about the fact that he's trying to you know rein in this cheetah influence mm-hmm. but he says but if it does take over you know he will he will hunt the doctor down hunt him capture him kill him um you know so, so there's there's that danger of it as well um i think of i think the the second episode is, is it's very much a case of um it's it's there to get us from from point a which was the, the introduction in the the first episode to you know to get us into you know the final confrontation mm. but there's interesting mm. stuff there i mean what happens to ace um on the planet of the cheetah people is interesting i mean what are your thoughts on that it's more interesting thinking where it would have went um, had had another series, I think. Mm. 
I don't know. Um, uh, because to explain uh, to the listeners, so what happens is that Ace um, gets influenced, you know, by the <clears throat> the. the the cheetah influence uh, take you know takes over and so now ace is through this this push and pull of going in this direction and kind of enjoying it with the animalistic uh, aspect of a personality taking over and the doctor you know trying to keep an eye on ace and rein that back in mm. but it's it's really interesting and she uh, she ends up developing a sort of a relationship with um kara uh who's one of the cheetah people what just so curious what's your reading of that relationship hmm maybe just kind of a like a animalistic kind of pack kind of bond mhm see that's how i always read it but um rona monroe actually wrote that in as a lesbian subtext okay um so the idea was that Ace's sexuality was, you know, kind of waking up at this point and it, you know, um, she's not heterosexual, yeah. which is kind of interesting. And I think, you know, <clears throat> knowing that when I was watching it, I said, I think if you want to read it like that, fine. I mean, that's the that was the, the writer's intention. So it's clearly there. But I don't think it's it's so overt and so... Um, I don't think it's no. That's not the word I'm after. It's not so clear cut. I think that that's what I mean. No, it's not clear cut. Where I think, uh, you know, for years I didn't see that. In fact, I think I think actually people involved in the productions they they themselves said that they didn't see it. I mean, that's one of the things that in the current era of Doctor Who, if if that element was was written into the story, I think it would be you know much more apparent and going well. This is my intention and. Oh yeah, they wouldn't shy away from it. Yeah, they wouldn't shy away from it, and it, you know it wouldn't be open to interpretation. But I think on this occasion, I mean, probably because you know it was Doctor Who in the late eighties. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to incorporate that in, you kind of like down, you know, downplayed a bit. So as yeah. a result of that, I think you can, the relationship is open to interpretation. It's the writer's intent is there. If, yeah, that, if, that's if, interesting. I think that's yeah. really, really kind of brave. But maybe mm. it should have been more. Um, there should have been more there for us to kind of understand that that was what was going on, possibly. Mm. Because because even knowing that, um, when I watch Survival, that's not how I um, see that relationship. No, I see it in basically how how you described it. Yeah, um, and, and it's a shame because just in spite of what writers' intentions are, that isn't necessarily the on-screen canon mm. um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah generally you know the, the, uh, there's always creatively there's always a bit of um push and pull between who who has the creative influence um on what's not presented on screen is it the, the director or the writer and the actors of course because the they can yeah. interpret it and yeah. perform it in a different way yeah that's good though mm-hmm yeah, it was. It was. It's one of those things that's interesting, and it's. Um, I just thought I meant yeah, but yeah, I, I read that relationship in, in the same way that that you do. But it's it's interesting that there's the there's the the author's reading that can can still be gleaned from it. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, episode two has a, a you know gives Ace Ace's character because of that something very very interesting. Um. But of course, now that everyone's on the cheetah planet, they, the, the thing is like, right, we're here, we need to go. And 
the doctor works out that actually uh what we need is somebody who whose earth whose home is earth get that influence get the cheetah influence there and then use that as a means to get back home this is Uh, another example of um the doctor's questionable motives um Mm -hmm. he's not always reluctant to do the right thing if it means failure mm-hmm. he, he he was always he was kind of i don't know did he coax her on to embrace it so they could get home i don't know when you look at uh you know the previous two stories which are the curse of fenric and ghostlight um you know the, the doctor's uh actions in relation to ace are very questionable and it puts a real you know a strain on their relationship but they managed to to come out the end of it on this occasion um the doctor can be wholly honest with ace and find uh, in fact because what what i really picked up on is in the third episode you know the doctor actually explains to ace what's going on and she says well what should i do doctor Uh, i trust you and he actually, you know, he he's perfectly straightforward with her. He's saying, look, you've got this influence. Uh, we can use that to get home. But there's a risk. If you do that, you may not turn back. He, he actually tells her that. It's, you know, clear as crystal. But um, so it's... I don't think it's, it's, it's wholly unquestionable. The fact, you know, that the doctor's being honest with her and it's like, it's, it's really up to you. The ball's in your court with this one because you're the one who can potentially be affected. I mm. don't know whether it's going to be reversible or not. Um, and she just holds out her hand. Just going, I made the decision. Let's just do it. Mm. And then they do it. So it actually, you know, it's, I kind of like it. They've moved on from, you know, what was going on in the previous two stories of, you know, and the doctor can actually be, wholly honest with ace i mean you could actually argue well the doctor knew what ace was going to decide so there was there was no yeah. gamble but you know he he is honest with her yeah he's not deceiving her in any way no. mm-hmm. um and so then getting into the the final episode i mean this is when um i think probably the, the story at its most unusual um because now everything that that took place on the cheetah planet and what can happen to people and everything like that is now taking place in the ordinary world um midge is the cheetah influence has completely taken over him now i mean his his eye you know because with with ace in the previous episode you know when we're seeing you know the push and pull between the you know her um trying to keep trying to keep control the cheetah influence taking over a bit then going back how that's reflected is the, her changing eyes going you know from from human to to cat like mm. midge's eyes are permanently changed now and you know he's got he's got fangs <laughs> um uh and the, the relationship between the master and midge at this point i think it's really creepy um he makes him a leash doesn't he yeah he's <laughs> carrying around like a dog um and it's this thing of you know the animal instinct of midge taking over and he doesn't see you know he has he doesn't have any real free will of his own at this point you know and the there are these moments when all what midge does is repeat what the master has just said to him 
and that I find quite creepy uh, yeah. as an as a you know as an idea what may not make what <laughs> may not work however it's just the performance <laughs> is the performance go on rob over to you well yeah he just kind of repeats it back in, in um I don't know. What do you want me to say, Liam? It's bad. <laughs> Just the start, Rob. Just the start. It's, um, I don't know. It's not the worst performance I've ever seen. No. Could, what about, could, yeah, we had uh, that cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's better, than, he's better than the animatronic cat. I'll give him that. Yeah. He um, definitely looks real in his performance. He exists. <laughs> yeah, there's a tangible quality to his performance which you don't get with the cat. Um yeah, it um yeah, it's a it's a shame. <laughs> it makes you just want to fast forward for a bit and get to the good stuff. Yeah, I mean that's the thing because I like survival as a story, but it's a thing of going I think it's a great story actually. And Maybe there's a, a it's quite meta like can you survive this story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know and the, the, there are great things in it but it's kind of one of those things you know when uh in our in a previous podcast you know when we had one of our listeners who's saying you know, that they're not familiar with classic doctor who and we're saying well which story would you know would you introduce them to there's aspects of survival which i would go you know go for it but then it's just like, oh no but hang on you've got midge's performance in the third episode Ugh. yeah um it's fine in its defense, it's brief. It's only two brief moments in two scenes. Uh, one moment in each. The rest of his performance is fine. You know, when, when he um, basically recruits, you know, the gang from the youth center. Mm. Uh, and all that stuff with, you know, with the master. That's fine. It's it's just the start when... It, it's just those moments when he goes when he's repeating the master just the start midge just the start and then when he nicks a motorbike and whatever the line is um it's a bit it, it, the performance is a bit cringy but thankfully it's brief and we move on why didn't they say to him can you say that again please or did they and they were like right that just we'll just go with it yeah it's enough takes it's funny when when i was with the um, Terror of the Autons, I was watching the the, uh, the making of documentary for that. And um, oh, I've forgotten the actor's name now. He played uh, Captain Yates. Yeah, I know who you mean. No, no. Uh, it, it's there on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, what he was saying was um, he... He gave this line, he gave this performance, he's saying this line, you know, it's in the final episode when the master's like ran, ran back to the bus and Captain Yates turns around and goes, you know, um, something on the lines of, you know, he's caught Brigadier, he's cornered Brigadier, we've got him now. He was telling the story how in his, you know, he he, he wanted to show, you know, how, how good an actor he was and he said the line and Barry Letts, who directed it, just, you know, uh, quietly went up to him and he went, um, uh, I think we'll 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 do that again. You you can do that better. And he was just saying he went. I'm so pleased he did that because my first reading of that line was atrocious. And if people you know if people saw that they would just go. Pfft. 
on the Saturday. I'm just going, who's this Pratt? Um, so he went, I was so pleased that, you know, Barry Letts gave me that opportunity to, to you know, retake that. And it was a much better reading of the line. So great. Yeah. So going on to this, it's just going... There was yeah. no one around for quality control yeah, by this stage. Maybe it was just that they were just pushed for time. Because actually, I mean, the, you know, I do think that, you know, there were quite a few, particularly with the recording of the final episode, there were quite a lot of scenes when it was just like, right, we haven't got time to do this, just do it and move on. So maybe it was just a case of, oh, for God's sake, it is a shit performance, but yeah. right, okay, move on. One of those things. Just one they of those say things. you should never work with children or animals, and they've got both here. <laughs> So got some animatronic kids. <laughs> yeah, because that's not creepy at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but as I said, uh, it's just uh, two moments, uh, briefly in the third episode, and then we can move on. Because yeah. um, this builds up to uh, the final confrontation, which is on the hill in the final episode. Um, and, you know, the master, Midge, and the gang are there. And um, the doctor has to tell Ace, look, you cannot fight because if you fight, the animal instinct, the cheetah influence will, will completely take over and you won't be able to turn back. Yeah. You cannot fight. I'm going to do this for you. So flings her off the motorcycle and drives uh, towards Midge. Interesting, yeah. I love a showdown. Yeah. Um, and the bikes collide and there's a big explosion. And uh, the doctor's flung into a big pile of rubbish, uh, which is fantastic. And Midge is is flung on uh, and lands on a bit of a hill. Yeah. And the you know there's there's been this big thing with with Midge and this whole thing about you know survival of the fittest. In fact, it's been there from the first episode. This whole thing about social Darwinianism, you know, survival of the fittest. And uh, the master goes up to him, you know, because he's he. You know, Midge is burned. Uh, you know, he's he's obviously injured, and the master says, "You know, you you know what you must do now." And then Midge decides to die, yeah, because he's weak. Was that uh, your favorite part of the story? Finally, <laughs> <laughs> finally, Midge is dead. Um, I mean, because well, actually, one of the things that I forgot to mention, which is in the second episode, is because we see him progress. You know, that this influence is taking over, and he actually murders a cheetah. He does. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brutally stabs them. And we're forgetting that he uh, he's also killed the cat in the flat. Oh, yes. Crap, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the girl. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is a yeah, very dark moment. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, so there's, you know, th- you know, there's there is that creepy element which, which runs through. It's just a shame that uh, Mitch's performance it kind of falters a bit as we said before but uh you know but you know this is a, is a creepy moment and then this this gang march up uh to ace clearly you know they're gonna try and kill her but ace can't do anything she's helpless and it's it's uh, it's one of those moments where you kind of go you know bloody hell because ace has been an incredibly strong forthright character and since the moment she was introduced in Dragonfire, you know, she's always been, you know, willing to get stuck in and do what's needed. But on this occasion, you know, she cannot fight because of what the, the advice that the doctor does. And for the first time, um, we see Ace weak. Um, and it's kind of, you know, bloody hell. Um, but she's rescued by Kara. Mm. Kara appears, uh, freaks all the gang off and they do a runner. 
Uh, but then she's stabbed by the master and then dies. Uh, we'll get on to that. Mm. There's a final confrontation between the Doctor and the Master, and I love this scene. I think this is probably my favourite moment of the, the story. <laughs> Barring Midge's death. Um, where uh, the, the Master's been trying to break into the, the, the Doctor's TARDIS, and the Doctor arrives, and there's this scene with them. And I love how it's performed and the direction of it, where they're basically circling each other, you know, like like animals. Mm. Is that kind of, yeah, where, because and, the, it, up until this point, there's been no... No actual cl- conflict between them, you know. They've, no. they've stood side by side and talked. Yeah, I mean, and, and those scenes have been, you know, really, really good. You know, we have the first, the first scene between them, which was like in the in the cheetah camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was a good mm-hmm. scene, uh, and then we had a, um, a scene later on, which is between, which looks like a, an old building. You know, the remains of some sort of civilization, mm-hmm. and that that dialogue that they have, and this one. Is, is their final confrontation, the way that they're circling each other and they're talking about, you know, how uh, they almost must meet again, opposites attract. And this is the, you know, the final confrontation. And then, uh, the, you know, the, the master lunges at the doctor and then they are transported back to the cheetah planet. And at that point, the cheetah influence has completely taken over the master. So it's this idea that the cheetah planet is now the master's home. In fact, he even says that, you know, welcome to my new home, doctor. You know, and they're fighting and they're struggling and the doctor lifts up uh, a skull and is about to bludgeon the master to death. And then we see his eyes change. Yeah. So even the doctor's not susceptible to this. And he goes, and then he has to stop fighting. Um, you know, and then if we fight like animals, we die like animals. And then, uh, and then he's transported back to Earth next to the TARDIS and we don't know what happens to the master. No. Um, I mean, what, what do you think was... is that? It was the doctor that transported himself because he yeah. had the power to. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what do you think of what do you think of that moment? It was it was a good um, it was a good point for the doctor to reach. Um, he's got willpower as well, and even under the influence, um, he sees the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a good parallel with the master. Uh, and again, it was it was good to have them like in conflict, you know, um, fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, is there anything else to take out of that scene? No, no. I, uh, I think that's. I think that's everything with that. And then we yeah. we cut. We we then cut back to Ace. It was very was, brief. It was brief. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I wish we had a bit, little bit more of it. But for what it is, I think you know, it's a good. It's a, it's a good um, mm. solid moment. Yeah. Because there's a there's a part which goes. It's such a shame that at this point in the show's history, it's confined to the 25-minute episodes. Because, I mean, I love the Sylvester McCoy era, um, but it's the one era where you're kind of aware that the show's really confined by this old structure of television drama. I mean, because at this point, you know, um, I think the previous year, the BBC did the children adaptation of The Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe. You know, and they're having 45-minute episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a new um, children's television drama. You know, um, And Doctor Who's still confined to this old form- format of 25 minutes. And, you know, when you watch, you know, The Curse of Fenric, for, for example, because we've got two versions. We've got the televised version and the extended version. How many the, episodes is Curse of Fenric? I think it's four. Okay. The extended version were... 
it's in my opinion so much better because of that extra material um you know characters are allowed to develop more and breathe a bit more and there's just a little bit more um is that meat to length, the story or is that episodic um feature length uh but that extra material just allows you to you know just you know sells the story more um I mean, I think, uh, you know, they did, they managed to do a great job uh, with the stories that they were telling with this format. But it's kind of one of those things of going, you are aware that Doctor Who did need to modernise, but mm-hmm. that was no fault of the production team. You know, if they were given the opportunity, they probably would have taken it. Um, this goes back to that decision Michael Grade made back when Colin Baker was the Doctor, which was, you know, his first season was 45-minute episodes. They cancelled it. They were forced to bring it back. And then as, as little as possible, 13 episodes back to the 25-minute format. Um, and even Eric Saywood said mm, that was a mistake. But, you know, they, they still managed to do a good job. It's just kind of a shame. But anyway, yeah, that, that, moment, is, that moment is still good. Yeah. Um, it's a shame we didn't have a decent final moment with Ailey's master because he's just kind of abruptly kind of defeated. Um, we didn't even see him like annoyed that he gets trapped there. Mm-hmm. Um, like we had a, f- a good final moment with him in Castrovalva when we hear he's kind of trapped there. Mm-hmm. But, but here, um, yeah, the fight just kind of abruptly ends. Mm-hmm. We'll never see him again. I think Ainley did return after this for that game. Oh yes, was it, was that uh, Destiny of the Doctors? That's the one, yeah. And he recorded loads of um, sequences for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which which is available on the DVD and the, the and the Blu-ray as oh, a special feature, right, so we, yeah. you, you can actually watch those. <laughs> they are good. The good the good performances. I remember at the time when that came out because I didn't have a PC, but I really wanted one because I wanted to play that video game. Having seen footage of it, it looked. Even for the time, it looked bloody awful. The best bits of it are the Anthony Ainley recorded bits. All right. Uh, so at least we're able to watch those. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's a good moment. And then, um, but yeah, Master just promptly vanishes. But it works for the story. Um, but then, we, you know, we cut back to, to A. She's, she's mourning the death of Kara. Kara, um, now that she's dying, appears you know, fully human. So we know that she was a cheat. You know, she was a human who turned into a cheetah. Yeah. Um, and that's a nice. I mean, it's it's tragic. I'm not saying it's. I'm not relishing in the death of people, but it's it's nicely performed and it's touching. Um, Anais is sort of reflective, not knowing, you know, what, you know, what the future holds, but we have this this nice moment of you know because she's you know she's wearing the doctor's hat, clutching his umbrella. Yeah. And the doctor arrives behind her and then, you know, takes those items back and saying thank you. And it's just, it's just kind of nice. Um, you know. And she's you know, fine with all this. Yeah, yeah, she's fine with us all, all this. And, you know, the, the doctor's saying, you know, it, you'll be fine, but it it live on inside you. It always will. And Ace is happy with that. Um, and then asks about the master and it's like, well, who knows? And then, you know, we there's that thing of going well it's time to go home which is the TARDIS and then we we end um on this moment where they're they're walking away from camera and we have this this wonderful speech which which I parried at the parried at the beginning of this episode you know we're talking about you know there were worlds out there where the sky is burning 
where the seas are sleeping, um, the people dream. Hmm. Um, cities make a smoke and pyramids of song, something like that. Um, you know, somewhere there's injustice, somewhere there's tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. It's a great piece of dialogue and it has that wonderful balance of... And that was written by um, Andrew Cartmel. I was thinking that. I was just about to ask you. It yeah. seemed like it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, he wrote that and he got that wonderful... He did that thing of summing up the show um, and wrote it in a way which is both both conclusionary, you know, wraps it up, but also leaves it a little bit open-ended because at that point when... There was a strong sense at this point that it's looking very likely, although it wasn't certain that Doctor Who was likely to be cancelled. Mm. And it, it was looking likely. And so Andrew Cartmel, from what I understand, took the initiative and went, right, we'll... we'll uh, I think in conversation with John Nathan Turner, of course, and went, right, I'll need a line of dialogue to suit, suitably wrap all this up and and get that balance right of going... If it is the end of the series, if it is the end of the show, it has that feeling of we've managed to wrap it up. If it isn't, it's a little bit open ended, and so it you know it it doesn't come across like a permanent end. And I think he you know he he did that superbly well. Mm. Um, as it is, it it was the the end of the story, the series, and the show. Um, and I remember when when battlefield came out on vhs in 97 um got that watched it for the first time and then the f uh the following week i said oh i'm kind of in the mood to watch uh ghost light so i watched ghost light and then the following week if i've got the the order of the the stories right i can't quite remember now then it was mm. like the following week oh i'm in the mood to watch the curse of fenwick and it was at that point when i went oh hang on i happen to be watching these stories in order so then i went oh well i'll watch survival next and that was the first time, apart from the Key to Time series and the Trial of a Time Lord series, where I'd actually gone on my way to watch a period of Doctor Who in broadcast order. And apart from Battlefield, at that point, I was already familiar with the, with the other stories. And I remember being really disappointed that the show didn't continue. And I still think, you know, watching Survival, there's still that sense of poignancy about it. Mm -hmm. Um... Because that 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 sense of it being an end of an era, it it you know yes the show came back, but not in the same way. No, it's you know th this is you know it. <clears throat> that's it. The original run of the show ends, and that style of storytelling and production and and all the rest of it ends with. <laughs> ends with that final ends with ends with survival funnily enough. it's a shame um but it's it's that kind of duo that was kind of in everyone's hearts for the whole <laughs> decade after where, um, mm. everyone trying to continue it in, in certain ways yeah. um, do, you, do you think there's kind of a a platform that did this era justice um there's lots of different versions. We've got the Virgin New Adventures, mm. um, which incorporates um, some of Andrew Cartmel's stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we've got the 
audio visuals um, by Bill Bags, I think. Have you listened to those? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, these are fan-produced audios mm-hmm. with The Professor and Ace, which are... Um, they both starred in it, a con- an unofficial continuation, and it was the only way to kind of get that. It was, uh, I, th- I think they sold them on cassettes, and this is how... Um, Nick Briggs and a few others got into it because they 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 worked with um, Bill Bags on on these ones I think. Right. Okay. Um, you can still get those online I think. And then of course there's Big Finish. Um, so of those and possibly some BBC books and some comics. Um, which do you think kind of does this does the show justice that's a good question it's a it's a little bit tricky uh i mean what the what all those things did was give the show a life support system at least for the you know from the fans perspective and there was interesting stuff done there um in terms of the the virgin new adventures i mean i haven't read them all i think i've read about half of them and there's some good, interesting stuff. Not just in terms of Doctor Who. I think there are really good standout novels, which ought to be read and appreciated of their, you know, of their own merits. Um, there are certain aspects where this idea that you know the Seventh Doctor was, you know, this dark, manip- manipulative character. Yes, there were elements there, but I think actually in terms of the, the TV series, it was it was a bit more nuanced mm-hmm. and much more balanced than that. And I think in the Virgin New Adventures, they to begin with that aspect of the doctor i think was overplayed a bit one of the problems that i had with the the novels that i read was they end they end up making ace terribly uh they ruin the character basically uh mm. she becomes very unpleasant there's this whole thing where um ace really seems to detest the doctor and there's this thing of you know the, the doctor and benny on one side and ace on the other and it, it, they end up um, resetting it a little bit, which which is a blessed relief. But there is a series of novels where they completely ruin her character. Um, so from that point of view, it, it's a shame what they do. <laughs> they, right. You know, they you know. Um, but in terms of, in, well, in the comics, they also kill Ace. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think at that point, what 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 was clearly happening was that you know Doctor Who fans were becoming of age. Uh, you know the fans were growing up it wasn't an ongoing series you didn't have children um, massively rediscovering the show so whatever they were going to do however they're going to tell new stories it would be for an adult audience so you know let's be dark and mature you know we will kill people and we'll have Mm. swearing and we'll have sex and all the rest of it in yeah it's like what we're saying before It, it, it gets a bit overplayed but Afterwards, they, they settle down and they manage just to, you know, let's have fun with this format and just tell really good cracking stories. So eventually, they, you know, it does sort of work. I mean, the fact that Doctor Who was cancelled at that point, um, at the you know the very end of 1989, I think does provide the show with the inspiration that produces all these things, which is good. Like, I mean, for example, if the show had been cancelled at the end of Colin Baker's time, you know, the first season, actually, which was 
what Michael Grade and um, Jonathan Powell had originally intended. If the show had been cancelled then, I don't think you would have had a, a series of original novels. No. Uh, the market and the interest wouldn't have been there. And I think that had, she, had the show ended at that point, Doctor Who wouldn't have come back. Um, the fact that it manages to continue for a further three, four years, by which time, um, no disrespect to Colin Baker, but they get a new actor in, they get a new script editor in, and there's a new, fresh approach, which people really like. They get a fantastic team, both in terms of the characters and the actors, uh, with, you know, with uh, Sophie Aldred and Sylvester McCoy. They get they have real chemistry, and they're, you know, they're, they're great characters to play, uh, to, to watch. And... Um, and with that approach, that fires off the imagination to find when the show is ended, right, there's something there where we can get our teeth into and delve a little bit deeper in what, what they were wanting to do and tell original stories. Um, so it provides further life support. And then not forgetting as well is that what happens a few years later, you have uh, the controller of BBC Two who recognises that actually Doctor Who isn't an embarrassment to the BBC. It's something to be proud of. And we're coming to the 30th anniversary. Let's celebrate it. Let's repeat some of these stories. And then, and then you get people such as myself discovering the show and becoming fans of it. Um, so you've got a little bit of new fandom coming in. You've got these original stories coming in. There's a bit of a shot in the arm with the fact that there's an attempt of the Americans to make a series with a tv movie doesn't quite work but we get a new doctor out of that mm -hmm. so then what ends up happening with that is yes a new series doesn't emerge but um the tv movie is a success in britain both commercially and in terms of the viewing figures so the bbc end up taking doctor who back on board virgin the license isn't renewed bbc books Anyway, you know, I'm kind of waffling on, but all this provides this this life support, and the fact is, yeah, the momentum doesn't stop. The mem yeah. momentum doesn't stop. Russell T. Davis and that team's involvement of bringing the show back in 2005 was exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. That was the last possible opportunity to get Doctor Who back, because if you look, I mean, because the other thing as well, you got Doctor Who magazine. I mean, you got a, a magazine dedicated to a television show which isn't being made which is quite you know it's absurd even, <laughs> yeah even you know but there's still enough material there but funnily enough i think that people who were involved I, i've heard people say that actually what was happening was they were approaching 2003 and they pretty much mined everything that there was and so doctor who magazine was on the verge of wrapping up mm -hmm. and they said and then it was announced doctor who was coming back so then for so for about a year and a half, they had to sort of like, well, we've got to wait till the show comes. And they had to really kind of struggle to to wait to 2005 and then they could, you know. But Doctor Who was on the, the verge of, of wrapping up and uh, and I think the same was happening with BBC Books. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that I think would have continued out of that period would have been Big Finish. Um, but all that stems from the fact that what Doctor Who did in those last three series. So at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, I, I asked, 
did Doctor Who end with a bang or, or with a whimper? I mean, unfortunately, I mean, yes, the viewing figures were low, but in terms of the quality of the stories and what they were doing there, it ended with a bang. I think the quality was there. And they were doing, you know, they were telling really good stories, which I think are really enjoyable. And the fact that that approach of what everyone was doing, the production team, the actors and how they were interpreting and performing the characters, fires off the imagination, which launches all these different things. So all basically all the things that you mentioned, Rob, all that mm. all that stems from how that how the show ended. So it's disappointing that we don't get any further television adventures forming survival. Yeah. Um but but, yeah, it's great that people's kind of imagination mm. kept it alive. And um quite remarkable that the same thing happened after the T V movie. Mm. I'm pretty sure we've got eighty odd BBC books. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we, we wrap up, um, we've got uh, listeners' responses to go through, but uh, just ah. the, the social media stuff. Sorry, Rob, were you going to say something? No, just, just I forgot about those. All right, oh, okay. And also we've passed 500 followers on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we seem to be going strength to strength, uh, which, which, is, which is great. Yeah. Um, Getting a lot of listeners as well. Shall I see where in the world people have been listening this week? Yes, yeah, go on. Okay, just going on our insights. Uh, what time frame are, you, are we looking for? Just last seven days? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so countries or cities? Uh, countries. Okay, so um, thankfully the UK is on there. Uh, US, <laughs> Canada, Ireland, Australia, Sweden, Singapore, Netherlands, Germany, Japan, India, Finland, Spain, Brazil, Belgium. Wow, fantastic! We're truly international. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, I, I just anyone who you know for, for those that are listening, uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, it's it's really gratifying that that people are, uh, listen to this and, and and find it an enjoyable podcast. In fact, we we've been getting quite a lot of um, uh, favorable feedback um, from people recently, and it does mean an awful lot. And we're so pleased that people enjoy listening to our to our ramblings. Um, mm. So uh, I'm pleased that we're providing some. You know, some entertainment, and that people, you know, are, are coming back yeah. and enjoying what we do. In fact, we're getting—I think we're getting almost getting better numbers now than we were during flux, and we did quite well during flux. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's and uh, it's great. It's because uh, I mean, when we when we first started back when Jody Whittaker first started, um, you know, I honestly thought, oh, we might, we might, you know, to begin with, we might get I don't know five listeners, at least, you know. But um, what were the listens that first month or so? Was it fifty? Yeah. Oh, the first month. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was over hundred per, per, per episode. Did we get quite a few? Yeah. Um, and obviously, it wasn't. It was just in the tens. Obviously. Yeah, but uh, we were getting a lot more listeners than I expected. We said, "All right, okay, this is you know this is good," and uh, yeah. we seem to be getting from from strength to strength. So it's all worthwhile, Rob. It's all good. Yeah. Um, Late at the end of the tunnel as well. <laughs> Yes. Is it ever going to end? Should we uh, decide that, you know, at the end of Whitaker's last story, should we just decide then, should we go on? <laughs> <laughs> or do we let it die? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, <laughs> find out, listeners. So it's <laughs> a bit of tension and a bit of mystery. Are we going to end it all? Um, uh, so with with everyone who's who's got in contact... Uh, 
throughout the the entire time we've been, you know we've been doing this podcast thank you you know very much it's it's all been positive which means an awful lot especially you know the the evil world of the internet uh, um well i've got any enemies though i don't think oh, well <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> maybe they're binding their time and keeping themselves quiet who knows but uh for everyone uh who's got in contact with us uh you know over the years we've been doing this, thank you so much. It, it does mean an awful lot. It, it's yeah, over a hundred episodes, and you do see quite a few familiar names in the responses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so, so that's great. And we're also getting a, a really nice relationship with with other Doctor Who podcasts, which 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 is you know lovely as well. Um, do get in contact with us, of course. Uh, do keep that up. The best place is probably Twitter. We're there at Podcast Bell. Also on Instagram, if you want to see us post, you know, pretty related pictures at Cloister underscore Bell. And we have our own dedicated website, uh, which Rob does a tremendous job, uh, you know, uh, keeping an eye on and updating and adding fun elements. There's games, there's uh, there's points to be earned and all that. Uh, do you want to explain yeah. that, Rob? Basically, I just get carried away. Liam should not give me free reign of anything. <laughs> it's just a podcast. Not some multimedia franchise. The power's getting to Rob's head, but uh, you can you you can, yes. you can see uh, how it's the, like how a the... cult. So go go to our website, earn points. Um, uh, the point system did give me an option for a ranking system, and I thought I don't want to grade people <laughs> on how they're fans and re- finally reaching level two and all this. Oh my <laughs> god, Rob, you're introducing a social credit system, you evil man. No, it was just an option. I only considered it for a few days and then decided not to. But yes, oh I'm tr- I'm trialing Cloist- Cloisterbell coins right now. If anyone's interested, um, and maybe we'll offer some. Things I don't know. <laughs> anyway, check out uh, cloisterbellpodcast.com to see, see how what Rob's crazy things Rob's doing that week. Yeah, <laughs> just a platform for a podcast. That's all it needs to be. Yeah, listeners, I, I work with a complete and utter maniac. Anyway, uh, on with uh, listeners' responses. Uh, Rolo Gogol says it doesn't make a lot of sense. Some of the performances are awful. <laughs> Surely not. Um, what? Who? <laughs> They're all I want names. <laughs> Cheetahs look like cuddly toys. Oh, I, actually, yeah. Um, what, that was one thing I was supposed to... Rob, but yeah, what do you think of the look of the cheetahs? Well, I know production-wise, it was a bit disappointing, I think. They were meant to look better in the writer's eyes. Mm. But I don't think they look that bad. And when you look at the Russell era, we've had cats. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know? That looks a bit silly. It's fine. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's fine. I don't mind them. But uh, um, Sylvester McCoy rolled his R's so, so much he sounds like his mouth is motorized. Master is great. Oh, have we said his arse? <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, Sylvester McCoy rolled his arse so much he sounds like his mouth is motorized. <laughs> Sorry, no, he rolled his R's. Ah. Uh, Master is great. More GNT stunt casting with Hale and Pace just because they were popular in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. And they weren't that phased by the dead cat. When they're no. like, oh. Yeah, but were they famous for, for doing a, a sketch where they microwaved a cat? I don't know. That sounds awful. I mean, they didn't. it wasn't a real cat. I mean, I, memory serves. I'm sure at the time they received an awful lot of complaints. <clears> it's like, people, it's not a real cat. You know, get a grip. <laughs> um, 
Like that woman who put a cat in a bin. Do you remember that? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of like, oh, hi cat, in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. So for anyone who has no idea what we're talking about, years ago it was on the news because someone had caught it on a CCTV camera outside the home. Um, there was a cat on a wall, woman walks past, <laughs> and for reasons... I mean, we'll all do spontaneous weird things from time to time. Yeah, yeah. We've all, we've all done that where, you know, it's just like, oh, there's a cat. I'll just pick it up and shove, shove it in a bin. Anyway, this happened. This was caught. And it was, I mean, it was an awful thing to do. But at the same time, I felt, felt sorry for the woman because this was just, this was, this became a major news story. It was all over on the main news. This, this woman was hounded, forced to do an interview. And, and we've dragged it up again. And, um... Yeah, it, it was weird because even in even in the interview, she said that I have no idea why I did that. Yeah, the most hated woman of the week. Uh, yeah, it was, that that story was extraordinary. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, back. Uh, Alexander Alexander Grogan says, "Oh, now this is a great story. A fitting end for Doctor Who and Seven's magnificent speech at the end is the true summing up of classic Doctor Who." I wish it had continued beyond 1989 to the 90s, but we didn't get it. It's a great optimistic outlook on it, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And um, uh, the one person who... Everyone seems to struggle with the pronunciation of this, Rob. You may have to help me out. F- um, Flibbity Jidget. No, Flibbity Gigget. The curator. B- uh, BT Flibbity Gigget. That's the one, thanks, Rob. Um, I like it a lot. Ace is a... F- Ace is a furry? Yes, Ace is a... F- furry the master is more tolerable than i usually find anthony because he's just so pathetic and seven gets off a great final speech yeah i think if you unify all three of those opinions it's kind of where i sit it's a bit silly it's it's great (laughs) yeah Um, is that it uh yes that's uh, all the listeners responses thank you very much everyone and yeah i think rollo might have been our 500th follower Ah, right, okay. Good, good. Yeah. Um, so, Rob, wrapping it up, conclusion and score. I'm really apprehensive to do this. Okay. For a score. Oh. Can you go f- go first? Oh, is that not allowed? Have I got to go first? <laughs> oh, all right, then I'll go first. I mean, it's against the rules and everything. Um. <clears throat> okay, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Before you what? say it, I'm going to... I'm gonna... Decide in my head what I think, so I'm not just being a bit of a copycat. <laughs> Is that a pun? Um, Hold on. Right. Okay. This is really hard. I guess you can you can see where I'm going with this, mm. but mm, okay, I've decided. Ooh. So so you go. Right. Okay. So conclusion me personally i think it's a good story yes for uh for some of the dodgy performances which we've uh we've focused on quite a bit um i can kind of and the dodgy animatronic cat i can kind of look over that because i think what we have here is a, is a very good story i love the the setting i love rona moreau's writing and what she does with the story uh and you know uh, sylvester mccoy sophie aldred and Auntie Angley in particular i think give you know really good performances there's a strong creepy element that really comes through and builds into the final episode and it um 
it feels like a complete viewing experience from from beginning to end i like how it's structured and of course that famous ending speech it's suitable you know completely for summing up the the story but obviously it does a lot more it sums up classic doctor who as a whole and yes it is a, a tremendous shame that the show wasn't allowed to continue on the strengths that we'd seen emerge during the mccoy era but at least you know at least the the show was allowed to continue for these three years and we've got that and um uh in terms of the quality the classic doctor who ended with a bang with the quality of the stories so like it um obviously big fan of the story so i think it, it's hardly any surprise that i think it's good that's my score right, over to okay. you rob i agree with everything you've said but it's let down by quite a few things mm. performance wise um maybe the the time wise it was just a three 25 minute episodes i didn't quite get its point across i i, I rated an average all right and, and it's not one that i'd go to revisit quite often no fair enough it's one of those funny things because it's like what we said with with the with the listeners' responses that we've got. It's sort of we kind of all agree with them, and they kind of the we've our take on it. It's sort of like they're what what they've said to us. We've they've kind of separated overall how we think of the episode. Um, and it's one of those, you know, I like it, and I do think it's good, and I will happily rewatch it. At the same time, though, I can completely see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it, it, yeah, it's just a bit of a bit of a funny one but then again it, you know it, it does set up this legacy and it has the hmm. it has alien it 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 has this final speech which are all good points but yeah it's just average in my eyes mm-hmm. I, one thing that i i didn't mention and uh, and i should have is, is another strength of the episode is dominic glynn's uh score i do think it has a, a really good score i like it yeah totally uh so <laughs> just just get it in there at the last minute uh, before i forgot um so that's our take on survival um so rob it's the the big 100 podcast next big one double o yeah yeah will there be cake Mm. Mm. i've got carrot cake in the in the cupboard could always eat that to celebrate yeah go for it (laughs) um so obviously Legend of the Sea Devils has come and gone. Was it any good, Liam? <laughs> yeah, it was all right. It's all right. Yeah, I thought it was good. <laughs> I like that, you know that bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that bit was really good. Oh, and you know that bit when he's swinging from the rope and he, and you know and he falls on his ass. That was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rolled on his ass like McCoy. <laughs> In all fairness, uh, we we. <laughs> Got, survival totally does actually maybe that should be a score against it we do there is a massive shot of Sylvester McCoy's arse and survival <laughs> you know, when, he, when he's landed in the rubbish yeah oh yes <laughs> that's the thing why did uh, the master just laugh at him there you know because he's so funny. he's so set on killing him uh-huh. and then he's like ha ah. <laughs> he just leaves him well maybe he thought he died and it's kind of funny just going to died landing in a big bag of rubbish yeah. <laughs> that's funny I'm out of here yeah <laughs> but yeah so next week not next week I don't know I don't know what the schedule is but possibly next week we'll have a hundredth episode out yeah at some point our hundredth episode will be released yeah. uh, one thing's for sure it will be the next one to come out yeah <laughs> um, so you know that that is guaranteed 
and uh, that's when we'll be looking at the TV movie, which sees the return of Sylvester McCoy get uh, and his dignified exit from the series uh, as he refuses to look at the TARDIS scanner, and then he gets replaced by the fantastic Paul McGann. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. So, well, thanks for listening. Is that the end, Lee? Uh, yes, that's the end. Uh, so do you have a, a closing speech? Because you did that. You did that speech at the beginning. Uh-huh. I thought you were going to do it at the end. I know that would that probably would have been appropriate. Um, like, come on, Rob, we've got work to do. And then it came to like cut to the McCoy music. That would have been good. Yeah, that would have been good. I bulged up. Yeah. Sometimes, Rob, there are podcasts that bulge up. It's time to start knuckling down and getting the hard work done. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.